Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We are in a series on prayer right now called Praying for a Change. Now, many of us are praying for something to change, but we aren't sure how to do it. Others of us barely pray and need to start praying for a change. This series is intended to help with both. So come learn with us as we develop a hunger for God in prayer, as well as some practical tools to help us pray better. And as always, if you need anything, please find us at our website, tablechurchdsm.org. Now please enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, church. My name's Ivy Sprague. I'm part of the hospitality team. This morning I'll be reading from Genesis, the 32nd chapter, verses 24 through 32. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, you will be no longer Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Penuel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Penuel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. All right. Thank you, Ivy. Hey, I got a cool update for us this morning as we get going. Um, As many of you know, we have been slowly working towards starting an immigrant connection site uh, here at Table Church. Um, For those that don't know what that is, Immigrant Connection is a nonprofit organization that helps local churches uh, become centers that can offer um, inexpensive but quality legal assistance to refugees and immigrants. One of the biggest challenges of coming to this country is finding uh, affordable and accessible uh, legal services. And so um, the Department of Justice has a program where uh, churches or nonprofits can, can actually, you can train to become a qualified legal representative and you will be able to help people who are immigrants and refugees with the legal services that they need. And we are starting one of those centers out of our ministry center here at Table Church. And uh, my wife, Natalie, as well as Taryn Obink, who's one of our mission directors, have been training. They, they um, just this last week finished the initial part of the training. And not only did they finish the course, they crushed it. Like, they finished the final exam. They finished the final exam, which took hours, um, both of them at 95% or above. So pretty cool. Congratulations, ladies. I know Taryn's in here, I think. Um, so big step one is done. And now we move on to they're going to do some shadowing. Uh, and then we'll be able to start filling out our application to apply to the Department of Justice to be approved to open the Immigrant Connection site. We're really excited to be able to offer this service to our community. Well, the name Jacob means trickster or deceiver. And that's exactly what Jacob was. In fact, in one of his most famous moments, he tricked his father into giving him the blessing 
that was reserved for his older brother Esau. Esau heard about this and is furious, and he exclaims, is he not rightly named Jacob? He's a trickster. Esau, after this, is so mad that he vows to kill Jacob. Fast forward a few years. Jacob gets word that big brother Esau is on his way towards him with 400 men. And Jacob is scared. And so Jacob cries out to God. He says, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me. And that night he sends his wife and his kids and his servants and his flocks across the Jordan River to safety. And he spends the night by himself on the banks of the river waiting to face his past. And then something very strange happens. God attacks Jacob. If I'm reading the story correctly, the man comes out of nowhere and just starts to fight him. And they fight all night long. And pretty soon the man realizes that he can't beat Jacob. How about that? And so he decides to cheat. He touches Jacob's hip and supernaturally sends it out of socket. But even then, Jacob refuses to quit. The man says, let me go. And Jacob says, not until you bless me. And the man says, what is your name? Very logical sequence of events here, obviously. We're following and tracking with this perfectly, I'm sure. What is your name, he says. And Jacob tells him, and he says, your name is no longer Jacob. It is now Israel because you have struggled with God and humans and won. Jacob asks the man his name. He doesn't tell him. But he does bless him. Right there on the spot. After this, Jacob names the place Penuel or Peniel, depending on where you read it in the Old Testament. It means face of God. And he said, I have seen the face of God and lived. Let me ask you something. What kind of God attacks you in the middle of the night and then cheats when he can't win? And what may be even worse than that is the very thing that Jacob prayed would not happen, that his brother would not attack him, is the very thing that God does to Jacob. Listen, this story is one that we have read this story for many, many centuries, and it just, we can't seem to stop. It just kind of sticks deep within us. And it's not because the story makes sense. It doesn't make sense. In fact, I'm going to preach a sermon on this text today, but I want you to know I have no idea what it means. Like, this is a, this is a mystifying passage in Scripture to me. I'm going to do my best, but you should probably know that I really don't know what I'm talking about today, but we'll see if the Lord helps us anyway. Um, So we don't read this story because it makes perfect sense. I I don't know exactly what's going on here. It doesn't make brain sense, but it does make heart sense. You read the story and you're shaking your head. You're going, what kind of God does this? But you're also nodding your head. You're saying... I think I've been there before. 
I think I've wrestled with God like that before. I think I know how Jacob felt in that moment. It doesn't make brain sense, but it makes heart sense. And so I want to talk to those of you who have been in that fight before because I know that some of you have and I know that some of you are. One of my favorite preachers, Steve Deneff, preached a sermon on this passage and I'm drawn from his wells today. And he said that we can learn two things from this story. Number one, we learn it is completely within the character of God to jump you. And what he means is that God may do things to you and ask things of you that you don't think are fair. And number two, we learn that you'd better know how to fight. You'd better know how to fight with God without leaving God. Part of what that means is that we must get used to the fact that we can never and will never really fully understand God. How could we? You know, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to know something about God, but I take a lot of freedom in the fact that I was fully within my rights to simply say, I don't know, to whatever question I get asked. I love saying it. I don't know. There's a whole lot about God that we don't know and never will know. And what's more, Stephen F. says, he says, there are some things about God that only suffering can teach you. And if you bail on that fight, if you let go too soon, you will never learn those things. The night that Jacob wrestles with God, Jacob ceases to be. He gets a new name and a new identity. By the time the sun appears on the horizon over the banks of the Jordan River, Jacob is no more. There is only Israel. Walter Brueggemann says the nation of Israel is not formed by conquest or by land or by treaty, but by an assault from God. And you see, there's a breakthrough that night between God and humanity. Jacob becomes the first to encounter God on a new level, and it changes him in ways I'm not sure he would have asked for before. But what it seems to tell us is that if you get into the ring with God, you can prevail. You can receive the blessing that you ask for. You can see the face of God and live. But you might walk with a limp afterwards. You know something? Sometimes the cost of seeing God is that you now walk with a limp. Sometimes I wonder if a life of prayer is simply a life spent learning to walk with a limp. I have a friend who went and pastored a church a few years ago. It was a hard, difficult charge. He inherited financial struggles staffing challenges, nothing seemed to go right. And then along came a little virus called COVID-19. That's ultimately what did him in and ended it for him. And I saw him afterwards and I said, how you doing? He said, I'm doing okay, but I walk with a limp now. And I said, yeah, I get that. Sometimes I wonder if a life of prayer is simply learning how to walk with a limp. 
The Apostle Paul encounters the risen Jesus on the side of the road. He's blinded, it says, for days afterwards until finally says some scales fall from his eyes. Gross. Scales fall from his eyes. And now he can see again. But if you read closely, at least I kind of get the sense that maybe his eyes never really fully got restored. In fact, when he's writing to the Galatians, he reminds them, he says, remember, you guys would have given me your eyes if you could. Sometimes he always wrote through a scribe, but sometimes Paul would actually write with his own hand. And when he did this, he'd say, look how big the letters are as I write. And in Acts 23, he doesn't recognize the, the high priest when he's standing right in front of him. Look, this is complete conjecture on my part, okay? But what if Paul's eyes never got completely better after that encounter with the divine? If that were the case, it would mean that the great persecutor of the church emerges from an encounter with God, now needing the church to help him accomplish simple tasks like writing a letter. Just as it would mean that the sly, clever deceiver emerges from his encounter with the divine, humbled and clumsy and slightly broken. You see, what if the limp is exactly what you need? Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome, it says. Listen, if you've ever wrestled with God, I want you to remember this. Israel was birthed out of a wrestling match. And what that means is that to be a child of God is to wrestle with God. That's what Israel is. That's how Israel came to be. To be a child of God is to wrestle with God. I think some of us, we think that if we wrestle with God, it might mean that we're not a child of God. If I ask questions like, God, how? Or God, why? Or God, where are you? Or God, how could you let this happen to me? God, I don't understand. And if we pray those kinds of prayers, that might mean that we're not a child of God. But what if it actually means that you probably are one? If you've never had it out with God, it could be that you're not doing something right. Listen, what I hope all this is, I hope that this is encouragement for those who are exhausted and confused and brokenhearted. And I know you're thinking, well, Phil, if this is supposed to be encouraging, tell me I might get crippled. Like, that's not really doing the job for me here. And I don't know what to say to that other than may. We have ears to hear. I told you this story, I don't get it. <laughs> but I kind of do. Because I think I've been there before. Anyone who has been in the ring with God and has held on to him throughout and has walked away limping, but walked away nonetheless, knows what I'm talking about. You, you walk away from that experience and you say, I don't want to go back there. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, but holy smokes, there was something holy about that place. It was Penuel. I saw the face of God. And so it seems that God wants us to grab a hold of him and to not let him go. And, and he wants us to come at him with a tenacity and a ferocity and a determination that might not make the cut in a lot of Sunday school rooms. Jesus tells a story intended to show people how they should pray. He talks about a judge. He says this judge didn't care about God, didn't care about people. But there was a woman in his village, a widow, and she would come to this judge every day asking for justice. And eventually she just wears him down. She annoys him. And, and he says, fine, 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 I'll, I, I give in. I'll give you what you want. And Jesus is like, that's how you should pray. 
You should annoy God with your prayers. And he says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? Will he find that kind of faith is what Jesus is saying. The kind of faith that is willing to get down in the dirt with God. The kind of faith that is willing to be annoying to God, to be persistent and, and, and tenacious and ferocious with God. Will he find that kind of faith? Listen, here's the point today that I'm trying to make. Wrestle God until you're blessed. Wrestle God till you're blessed. Listen, sometimes the blessing is that God is moved. Israel cries out to God for 400 years and he finally hears their cries and frees them from slavery in Egypt. Sometimes our prayers move God. Sometimes the blessing is that you're moved. Sometimes the blessing is that God's going to change you and you're going to be able to inhabit that space in a way you couldn't before. Maybe even a way you couldn't have imagined before. Jacob gets his hip dislocated and even then he doesn't quit. I will not let you go until you bless me, he says. So wrestle God until you're blessed. Here's the second part. You ready? The limp is part of the blessing. The limp is part of the blessing. Imagine Jacob's family seeing him the next day. He's bloody, dirty. His clothes are torn. He's limping. Jacob, what happened? <laughs> well, first of all, my name's not Jacob anymore. <laughs> what? Second of all, God attacked me last night. Are you okay? No. But I might be better than I've ever been. Some of you are in the fight right now, and you don't know what God is doing. I'm here to warn you, you might limp after this. But I also want to encourage you that there can come a day where you limp with joy. And where you might even learn to cherish that limp because that's where you saw the face of God. I think the limp is a blessing because it forces us to rely on God in the areas where we formerly relied on ourselves. But the problem is that we are often so sure of ourselves that it takes practically an act of violence in order for God to awaken us to that reality. After the strange man disappears, Israel looks up and he sees Esau coming with his 400 men. Time to face the music. Jacob runs out in front and he bows down seven times before Esau. Here's what it says. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Esau seems to have forgotten the past. He's just happy to see his brother. And, and throughout their exchange that follows Jacob keeps trying to give gifts to Esau in order to make up for the ways that he had swindled him in the past. 
And Esau keeps refusing to take the gifts. He says, I already have plenty, my brother. And the point is that before Jacob's wrestling match, he had set aside part of his flocks, part of his riches to give to Esau so that Esau wouldn't kill him. But now he's trying to give gifts to Esau simply to make it right. The deceiver is gone. Israel has come. Something about that night changed Jacob. And so I have a couple suggestions for you as you pray this week. The first suggestion is vulnerability. You might not believe that your honest feelings are holy enough for God, but guess what? He already knows them, so you might as well tell him. The fact is that God has to start, he has to start somewhere with us, and so why not? The only place he can start is with your honest, honest feelings, with what's really going on inside of your heart. Trying to pretend with God isn't going to get us anywhere, and so we might as well just tell him the truth. Listen, God will meet you there. The goal in prayer is not to get stuff from God, but to acquire God's heart. And the way that that starts is when we bring our honest and vulnerable heart to him so he can start to do something with it. And so if we are honest and vulnerable before God, then he starts to do something in our hearts. He starts to rewire our hearts. I had a mentor for a number of years, and he used to tell me, you know, the hard thing about prayer is there's, your, your soul doesn't have a central nervous system. You can't feel it when change is happening, but it's still happening. You just kind of have to take it on faith. God's in there rewiring stuff, moving stuff around, changing you. You may not feel it in the moment, but it's happening. And so as we bring our honest and vulnerable hearts to God, he starts to change us. And what happens is he can, he, he can suddenly drop things inside your heart that he wants you to pray for. You can start to be used as an intercessor as you present yourself honestly and truly before God. He'll start to give you things to pray for. That's where prayer gets really fun. When God starts to drop his heart into yours. I was praying one day at the ministry center um, and out the east windows in the, the back of the ministry center. I had never noticed this before. I look out the windows and just through the trees I can see the gold dome of the state capitol. Now, have you followed our state politics lately? It's a little divisive right now. I don't know if you noticed this. There's some stuff going on. There's some people that are hurting. There's a whole lot of not listening going on. And I don't think, I'm ashamed to say it, I'm not sure I've ever prayed for our state legislature before, but that moment when I saw the, the sunlight reflecting off of that gold dome, I had this tremendous burden. Not just for what's going on in that building, but for the hearts and the souls and the, the, the carnage that is happening as our polit- political system just, just leaves broken hearts in its wake and misunderstandings. I'm not talking about one side or the other necessarily. I'm just saying we are divided and hurting. And I, and I reached out my hands towards the state capitol. I said, oh God, do something. Heal our land and heal our hearts. This is not what you intended. As the desires of your heart start to shift, God will be able to drop things in your heart that you can pray for that you never saw coming. And soon you'll be able to be used by God as an intercessor. 
But it all starts with vulnerability. Jacob was just like, God, don't let me die. God, don't fix my mistakes for me, God. My brother's going to kill me. Please do something so he doesn't do that. That was his honest prayer. That was where he was at. But God met him in it, and he changed him in the process. Number two, persevere. Persevere in prayer. When we started the process of adopting our daughter, Vienna, they were telling us that it would take about 14 months start to finish. Nearly four years later, we were wondering if she would ever come home. We had to watch our baby grow up from across an ocean. It's not something I would wish on anybody. And I don't know why it took so long. I don't have a good answer for it, but I do know that something in me changed because of that experience. I think that when it comes to prayer, we must stop thinking in terms of days or weeks and start thinking in terms of decades. What are you going to pray for for the next 30 years? And if you are a parent, perhaps you have a grown child who is wayward, not following the Lord, or what have you, what if it means praying every day for the rest of your life never to see anything happen, only to have them come to Christ at your funeral? Would it not have been worth it? What, what if the greatest thing we can do in prayer is not something to happen today or tomorrow, but something to happen a hundred years from now? What if we are sowing seeds now for something to happen that we will never see? We must stop thinking in terms of days and weeks and start thinking in terms of decades when it comes to prayer. Listen, the goal is not to become a hero in prayer tomorrow. The goal is to build a life of prayer. That starts with the wrestling match, with our honest hearts before God. And as you do this, as you enter into the ring every day, the wrestling match changes into something else, communion. And what will happen is that one day when you are old and gray, you will have resources to draw from that no 20 or 30 something can dream of. And so young people, let this be encouragement to you to start now. Persistence is what we need when it comes to prayer. You guys have heard us um, advertising a prayer class that we're going to have. It's going to be at the ministry centers. And if you haven't signed up yet, I want to invite you to do it. It's with Practicing the Way, John Mark Comer's organization. We're going to go through a four-week prayer practice. We're going to dig deeper into prayer, learning how to pray. It's going to be a time of fellowship and vulnerability, community, and growth. And I, a lot of you have signed up. I'm really excited for that. If you haven't signed up yet, you can let us know on your connection card. Just write prayer class on there. It's going to be Sundays at 4 at the ministry center. The men are going to start on March 26th. They'll go through April and the women will start April 30th and go throughout May. But as we end today, I want to usher in a time of just vulnerable prayer before God. And we're going to actually do the same thing we did last week. I want to invite you to take a particular prayer posture, depending on how you're, just how you are before the Lord right now. And so, if you're willing and able, would you stand with us for a moment? We did this last week, and I'm going to do it again. Um, mostly because I think, I think we've got more to give. I think that God is calling us as a church into a deeper level of engagement with Him. And I think some of us here are holding back. I think we've got more in us. And so, I'm going to invite you to take a, a posture that demonstrates what you're feeling right now. So, for example, maybe... You've got a heavy burden today. 
Well, stretch out your arms like this and say, God, would you take this from me? And just be honest with them about what it is. You know, maybe you're feeling convicted today about a sin in your life, or maybe you've just not been praying, you've not been with God lately, and you know that it's time to, to come home. Maybe you, if that's you, maybe you just need to get on your knees and say, God, forgive me and help me. Maybe you're angry today. Clench your fists. Say, God, give me the ability to unclench these fists. I'm so angry right now. I don't understand. I don't want to be angry. God, help me to unclench my fists. And perhaps God will meet you in that and give you that today. Maybe you're sad. Maybe you need to sit and put your hands in your, your face in your hands and just cry out to God. Maybe you're hungry for more of God today. Maybe that means you just need to reach out your hands like this and say, God, I want more of you. I want more of you. Would you come and would you meet me here? Maybe you're feeling something else and you need to come up with your own posture, but I'm asking you to be a little vulnerable here today. No one's going to be looking at you, I promise. Nobody cares. They're all worried about what they look like. So let's come before God in honesty and vulnerability. And let's refuse to let him go until he blesses us. God, I want to be a church that wrestles. I want to be a church that says, well, we're not going to let you go, God, until you bless us, until you move, until you either move or until you move us, one or the others. God, I pray that that would happen. A church that has got a, a ferocity in prayer, that yearns for prayer because we yearn for you. Let that be true of us, God. And as, as these precious people of yours come before you in honesty now, maybe some with the clenched fists, maybe some with their face in their hands, some on their knees, I don't know. God, would you meet them there? Would you come? Would you speak words of life and truth and healing and hope to their souls? We need you. Amen.